0: Hi, you're listening to the Zoe Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Zoe Fellowship exists to have fellowship with God and with one another, and to extend that fellowship to others through the work of Jesus Christ. This week's sermon is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6-14, through 14, and is preached by Pastor Paul Hong. Due to the outbreak of the COVID-19 virus, Zoe Fellowship Sunday services have moved online until further notice. We hold our Sunday services at 1 p.m. You can find a link to the live stream in the description box. Alrighty, so one more week from home. Um, I am now, Anna is totally fine now. Uh, Thank you for your prayers. And uh, just again, erring on the side of caution, decided that I should stay home as much as possible. Um, And then uh, hopefully next week we'll get back to more of a normal looking uh, service. So with that being said, Um, If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, We are in verse 6, and we're going to go through the end. We're going to end 1 Peter today, Um, and just, I guess, by way of announcement. Starting next week, we'll go into 2 Peter. Um, and uh, we're going to try and finish that. We're going to knock it out in uh, four weeks. Uh, the rest of May, we'll spend our time in Second Peter. And then starting in June, we'll begin the book of Ecclesiastes, which is uh, a book of wisdom in the Old Testament. So, that being said, First Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6 to the end of the book. Start, it says this, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is God's word. Well, thank you again uh, for joining the live stream. Uh, again, these are some weird times. I think the government has started to, to or at least uh, some governments have stru- started to try and open back up again. Um, but uh, we should... All just practice caution. Continue to social distance. Continue to wear masks. There's all still good things to do since the the curve has not been flattened yet. I think the past week, like there was a there was a period of a few days where new highs started coming out for Texas, um, daily death tolls and, um, and and cases. So please still be cautious. Stay safe. Um, those kinds of things that are still really really important. So. Um, <clears throat> So we're ending first Peter today um, and, you know, thinking about thinking back these past few months and thinking about Peter, obviously we've gone through a lot of different things talking about um, the holiness of God and particularly the holiness of his people um, and that how we as God's people are meant to be distinct from the world, right? Uh, That we are supposed to be holy, that we're supposed to be people marked out in society by our behavior and the way we act, and who are ultimately our allegiance is to, which is to King Jesus. So the, with that being said, um, the only way we can do that is that we have to stand firm uh, in uh, what we believe in, ultimately, right? Um, ultimately, we have to think about what are the things that we are going to die for, right? Ultimately, what hills are we going to die on? Um, what things are going to shape our perspective of the world? About how we behave? About uh, what what will uh, build our relationships on? Um, everything has to be anchored down, right? Um, ultimately, when uh, when the storms come in and when the the crashing waves of uh, persecution and suffering and trial and sin and failure, when these things start crashing down on you, what will be the anchor that is keeping you in place, right? And whatever that is, that is the thing that you are to stand firm in, right? Um, and these days, obviously, I feel like, and maybe this is just my observation, but I feel like, may, and maybe also because it's an election year, um, just politics has been the things that people have been kind of focused on. They have a lot of viewpoints and opinions, and they're staking their ground on on those ideas and values that certain political parties may have. But is that what Christians want to do, right? Is that what Christians want to be associated for? Um, I would say, if we're talking about If we're talking about christians and politics i would hope that i could offend both parties as a christian that i would offend a liberal and i would offend i would offend a conservative you know um and certain viewpoints that i might have and certain values that i hold and ultimately it's because jesus is offensive right and that is what sticks out is that i if i'm following jesus in a way that uh, glorifies him then hopefully um i would i don't know kind of be subversive in both political uh, within the political, uh, hue, scale, the political scale, right? But with that being said, that's why we have to stand firm as Christians on Jesus, right? And this is sort of what uh, the main point of today is, that we are to stand firm in the true grace of God, okay? This is what Peter is telling us. He says that we should stand firm in the true grace of God. And today I only have two main points, okay? First of all, we are to stand firm under the mighty hand of God, Okay, we are to stand firm under the mighty hand of God. And then secondly, we are are to stand firm against the devil's schemes. Okay, stand firm against the devil's schemes. Um, You could say lies as well, just to stand firm against the devil's lies. So, look at verse 6 with me. Verse 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Okay. So Peter is going to end this letter with a few more like last exhortations and commandments and instructions for the readers. I remember the readers, again, are uh, persecuted Christians in Asia Minor. They're kind of spread out. And so he's writing this letter and it's going to a whole bunch of different churches in the area where uh, Christians have gathered together. And these are sort of his last words to them, right? His last exhortations to them. And he says, humble yourselves. If you guys remember from last week, um, one of the last... Instructions he had was that to all of you we were talking about pastors and members But he said to all of you pastors and members and everyone humble uh, clothe yourselves in humility for God Opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble and so he's continuing that instruction saying humble yourselves Therefore since God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble He said therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, right? And so we want to humble ourselves because we don't want to oppose God, and we don't want God to oppose us, because that's that's a losing battle. We're not gonna we're not gonna beat God in that battle, right? But He's gonna give grace to those who are humble, right? And then it says to do it under the mighty hand of God. What exactly does that mean? This kind of helps us to understand what humility is, right? So uh, the mighty hand of God. This is a terminology that Peter's borrowing from the Old Testament, from Exodus specifically, where uh, God des- God is described as uh, using his mighty hand and outstretched arm to uh, bring out the nation of Israel outside of sla- or out of slavery from the Egyptians. And so that same mighty hand of God that delivered these Israelites out of slavery is the same mighty hand that we are to humble ourselves under. Right? So we are supposed to humble ourselves under the, the, the mighty, powerful hand of God. He powerfully displaying his glory and power to um, the Egyptians, the proud Egyptians, um, pull them out, uh, out of that slavery and bondage. And so in the same way, we are to, in practicing humility, to put ourselves under the mighty hand of God, meaning that we are to trust his power. Right? We trust that He's stronger than us, that we have to admit and confess our weakness, that we cannot save ourselves, but rather we have to humble ourselves to the point that we understand that God is the powerful one working here and that us, when we do our work, we're doing it by God's grace, humbly serving him and his people. And so it's the same mighty hand and outstretched arm that delivered the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt is the same hand that we are to humble ourselves under. But then he says uh, to do that, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So this is the pattern that we kind of see in Scripture all the time. Okay, that when you humble yourselves, when you suffer, then it ultimately leads to glory. And it says uh, the, at the proper time he may exalt you. Right, it's the proper time again. Peter has one eye on the situation, which is suffering Christians, and another eye on the future, where Jesus is returning. And that's when the proper time is. That is the proper time to be exalted, that Christ is going to exalt us. And this is so because we see the pattern in Jesus. In Philippians 2, Paul says, Jesus humbled himself to the point of death for the sake of obedience to God, and God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. Right, So that journey of humility into glory is the pattern that we as Christians must take and live out. We have to humble ourselves so that at the proper time he may exalt us when he returns. If we're not humble, if we continue to be arrogant and proud, um, then we will lose that chance of being in glory with Jesus. But then he says something very interesting that you might not expect. He says in verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's very interesting, right? Because you would think that uh, anxious people do not seem proud or arrogant, right? Um, uh, You would think that proud or arrogant people seem to be really kind of in control and uh, smooth and suave or whatever the case is. But um, what this shows us, what Peter seems to be showing us, is that there is a type of pride that comes with anxiousness. Um, And what's really interesting about this is that my wife and I this week, we actually shared this with our small group, but my wife and I this week, um, we were under a lot of stress. Um, And we only kind of noticed it because um, uh, we have a friend uh, who is studying here at uh, uh, DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary, and he uh, was taking some sort of therapy or counseling class and he had asked us to do this kind of like survey test thing uh, for that class, kind of just seeing our personalities and what, you know, what we uh, as a relationship, as our marriage, like how what works, what doesn't work, things like that. What are our strengths and weaknesses, things like that. Right. And uh, we did that a few months ago and. Um, We got he came he was supposed to interview us kind of to follow up on those results and he came with some of the results and we found out that our stress levels were like really high like really dangerously high Um, and what's so crazy is that uh, we didn't we didn't really feel like it but when we saw it on the paper it totally made sense Um, we were really anxious and really stressed out about a number of different things Um, and apparently they just maybe in our subconscious had built up over a long time and so We were doing that and so last or a few nights ago, we were uh, discussing it and through shedding some tears, we discovered and we had to confess that ultimately we were not resting in Jesus. Uh, And what we mean by that is that ultimately we were trying to find strategies and schedules and ways that we can manage our stress um, so that uh, we were in control and we got to do what we wanted and all those kinds of things, right? But uh, when in reality, it showed that we weren't trusting in Jesus because we thought we were in control. We thought we could handle our stress and anxiety. But it says right here for us to cast our anxieties on him, to humble ourselves to do that. And it showed that we in our hearts were actually prideful, right? We thought we could handle it. Um, And that shows pride even in our anxiousness and our worries. And that might be the same for you. You might be struggling with something with anxiousness and stress and obviously in a time like this where we're dealing with a global pandemic family and friends are being affected Um, and uh, it's obviously very stressful and a lot of anxiety um, and uh, stress is happening Um, and so the question then is are you humble enough or can you humble yourself enough to admit that maybe you can't handle everything that's going on you can't take care of every single family you know, maybe, maybe losing your job, like that might be out of your control or somebody else, right? There's only so much we can do. And ultimately, what uh, Peter is instructing us to do is to cast those anxieties onto the Lord, to trust him, to handle it, right? Um, and, that, and to trust whatever his will might be in the end. And he, he says to do that because he cares for you. Right, because God cares for you. Often in times like this, we think that God is this distant God, this distant being. Every now and then, He'll pop in to like sprinkle some grace on you and then leave again. Right, but no. Um, the the character of God that is shown here in in the book of Peter to suffering Christians is that is care and love. Like a, He's the chief shepherd, right, of the sheep who are lost and suffering and wander, wandering around. He's to, He's the shepherd that pursues them and takes care of them and in the same way this is why we can cast all our anxieties on the Lord because he cares it's not that he doesn't care now some of you if you claim that um, that you think that God doesn't care well think about this then why did he send his son to die why did he come down in flesh suffer all the things that he did was unjustly accused of crimes he was beaten and mocked and scored and he was thrown up on a cross why would he do that if he didn't care so I think that's, that's the last accusation we can make against God. That's not an accusation we can make with good conscience. It's because he sent his son to die, suffer and die on the cross for us. And ultimately shows that he does care for us. That's the proof of his care for us is because of the gospel, because he sent his son. Now, and so that's why we ought to stand firm under the mighty hand of God, right? We to humble ourselves, trust in God's par- power to take care of all the things that are going on in our lives. It doesn't mean that, you know, for if we're using the example of my wife and uh, me, it uh, doesn't mean that we can't or shouldn't strategize or schedule and try to manage those things. That's... It's just that for us, we were sinfully managing those things without God in mind, without trusting that he was going to take care of us and ultimately trusting in our own scheduling and strategies and things like that to take care of us. So, so stand firm, um, under the mighty hand of God. Now, verse eight, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are to stand firm against the devil's lies. Okay, we are to stand firm against the devil's lies. Now, this first exhortation that Peter gives us this be sober minded and be watchful. This should sound familiar because he, this is a commandment that he's given to us before in this letter, he says in chapter one and in chapter four, In all three of these contexts, he's always referring to again, the final judgment, right? And he does this in verse 10 for us. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, right? And so again, in the same background of the final judgment, he tells us to be watchful, right? To, to be sober-minded, making sure that we are aware of our situation, that the Lord is going to return again, that the final judgment of God is coming. And so we have to live our lives uh, in light of that reality. But then he opens our eyes to another reality. He says, our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour now, this image of a lion is often used in the Bible. Obviously, a symbol of strength. It's something dangerous, obviously. Uh, sometimes it's used positively, like Jesus is called uh, the Lion of Judah, right? Um, and, but in this case, uh, obviously, it's something negative, right? He's the, he's the, he's the, uh, the devil is being called uh, a lion, right? A roaring lion um, seeking someone to devour. The idea is this, that it is something dangerous, something not safe, right? and it, uh, for me I think of back to Genesis 4 we were in the book of Genesis and Genesis 4 where uh, God is talking to uh, to Cain after um, after he discovers that Cain is kind of disappointed that his offering wasn't accepted while bro- his brother Abels was um, and uh, God tells Cain to to watch out because sin is crouching at your door right ready to pounce on him and in the same way, While Cain is filled with envy and bitterness and jealousy, sin is ready to pounce. And in the same way, the devil is ready to pounce on us in times where we're vulnerable. Now think about these Christians, right? They're suffering uh, persecution. They could be suffering different kinds of loss. Um, All these things, those are moments where Christians are often vulnerable. And I'm sure we've felt that too in moments of trial and suffering, um, especially in these times with the pandemic going on. Maybe you lost your job or maybe you know somebody who did, lost a loved one. Um, Maybe you've been sick, whatever the case is. Maybe you've felt that temptation to sin against God, right? And you also just find yourself in moments of temptation, right? Uh, Late at night, don't go to sleep. You start browsing the internet and you go to that place where you shouldn't. Or maybe you are irresponsible with your money because you're at home so you're just amazon shopping you're just throwing stuff into your cart and you're being irresponsible not a good steward of the things that god has given you and so that's something to be considered is that is when the devil is going to pounce right and ready to devour christians because that's when you're most vulnerable um and he does now, when it says that the devil is going to pounce, um, I don't know that that necessarily means like something like possession, like demon possession or anything like that. But um, what is clear throughout Scripture is what the, that how the devil works is that he lies to us. And he lies to us mainly with one lie that is kind of the source of all lies, even if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. is that the devil is trying to convince us that God is the one who is actually lying to us, that God is actually the liar and not him. Right. Think about uh, the serpent in the garden, talking to Eve. He says, it's like, did God really say that you would die if you ate this fruit? He's trying to get Eve to question God's word, right? So in the same way, this is the same pattern throughout all of the Bible, throughout all of history, and even to us now, that the devil, how he tries to devour us is through trying to convince us that God is lying to us. So think about uh, maybe a person in persecution or under persecution why would uh, maybe the serpent would suddenly uh, whisper to us um, you uh, does god really care for you right you're trusting in him you're believing in Him. why is he making you suffer have you thought about that right he's trying to make you or convince you that god is a liar or maybe for those of you who fall into temptation i think i can already think of things uh, that i've seen in the past with many different people especially in like college just young people who are dating guy and a girl. They go to the girl's apartment, you know, they're watching a movie. It's late. The guy's like, oh, my my house is far away. I don't know if I want to drive home this late. They have, so and the girl doesn't seem to mind. So you stay over the night and it goes to um, a level that you shouldn't go to. That, that's the that that intimacy that uh, is reserved for married couples and you go there and the whole time it's really the devil lying right like it's like why do you have to wait till you're married you might be whispering maybe you've done it once before and the 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 serpent's like well you messed up anyway already what's the big deal now what should why should it stop you now these are all lies of the devil showing that god or that showing that the serp, the the devil is trying to convince you that god is lying or he's trying to withhold some sort of joy from you right and so with that being said We have to be very aware, sober minded, watchful, and especially in moments of vulnerability, which will happen, that that is when the devil often strikes. And we have to be watchful of that. But Peter gives us instruction in those moments in those moments of vulnerability Says to resist him. How do we resist the devil? Well, it's like, duh, Peter, we are the resistance. But how? He says this. First of all, he gives us two ways. Firm in your faith. Be firm in your faith. Well, how do you do that? This is, the, this is the reason why we always uh, emphasize daily Bible reading and prayer. You have to know God, right? You have to know Jesus. You have to know the gospel. You have to know those things so that you can be more firm in your faith. For when you don't have something to anchor yourself in, you're going to get pushed around all the time, but all the trials and tribulations of this life. It doesn't mean that Christians don't ever uh, suffer or have difficulty or have doubt, but it does. But it, if you're not firm in your faith, you're going to lose. You're going to lose the battle to Satan. He's going to take total advantage of your vulnerability there. Many people have fallen away because of suffering or injustice. Many people have fallen away from the faith because they started believing the devil's lies, that God is unjust or doesn't care about his people. So you have to be firm in your faith by knowing him, by getting to know him through through reading your word, through prayer, through um, meeting up with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And you have to obey him, right? It's not just knowledge, but you have to actually live out the life. Um, If you don't live out the life, you're not going to be convinced of of what the Bible says. You have to live out in obedience. And you have to do that by humbling yourself. And then the second thing that Peter tells us to do in order to resist the devil is uh, know that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the entire world. right? It, I don't know about you, but it's always helpful for me to know that I have friends or uh, family who are going through the same things that I'm going through. It, that are suffering the same difficulties, that are going through the same trials that I am. Sometimes it helps to confess to them. Sometimes it helps for them to confess to me that we can encourage and pray for one another. I have a group of friends from seminary that we talk to each other all the time and we check up on each other, pray for each other, pray for each other's families. And so that's the kind of thing we need to be able to do is to understand, know that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through the same things that we are. And so I would encourage you uh, to reach out to people every now and then just to see how they're doing. And, and if you have something to share with them, a struggle or suffering that you're going through, to share it with them, right? To get that out and, be, and rather, rather than trying to tackle it on your own and letting the devil uh, take you out. Instead, why don't you group up with people to help uh, fight the devil's lies together? That would be better. But then it says this in verse 10. Um, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Suffering will happen. You may lose everything in this life. Your job, your money, your material things, right? your friends, your family, they may backstab you. You may lose your job, your home. All of these things you can lose um, everything that we hold dear in this life may die or disintegrate into dust. But the God of grace will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you when the Lord Jesus returns for the final judgment. So hear what I'm saying here. Look at the book of Job. right? If, if you know that book of Job, it's about this man who was a faithful man who was very rich. He had a big family. And in some sort of cosmic uh, cosmic bet that the devil makes with God about Job, um, God allows the devil to throw all sorts of suffering at him, right? He takes away his kids. He kills them all with disease. Uh, he takes away all his wealth. And so Job is there all alone, except with a nagging wife who just says, Curse God and die. Look what he's done to you. And Job's like, no, that's not how the way it works. And at the very end of it, after uh, uh, after crying out to God about what's happened to him and, and all all that stuff, at the end of it, God blesses him and gives him to- twofold of what he had before now this isn't a story about a lot of um, false teachers will use that story to prove something about prosperity gospel which which says that if you have enough faith or if you give enough then god will bless you with health and wealth that is a lie that is yet again another one of satan's lies that you have to guard against Um, rather the picture of job who gets blessed doubly at the end of his uh, of that book is showing that one day through suffering it leads to glory Ultimately, when God puts us through suffering, which sometimes he does, it will ultimately lead to the genuineness, sincerity of our faith, uh, the strength of our faith, right? Going through the fire. And it will purify it and we are to grow. And ultimately, it will lead to glory. This is what it tells us. The God of grace will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you when our Lord Jesus returns. After suffering for a little while, there's the eternal glory that is in Christ who we've been called to. And so we should trust in that and we should hope toward that, we should anchor ourselves in that hope. So we ought to stand firm against the devil's lies so um, so that we can reach the end and be with glory in uh, with Christ. So finally, verse 12, By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is Peter's kind of just final greetings. Uh, He talks about Silvanus, a faithful brother in Christ. Um, We don't know much about him. But apparently he's the one carrying this letter to uh, these persecuted churches in Asia Minor. Um, But Peter basically is saying, these things I've written down, all these things that I've told you, that we're born again to a living hope, brought out of darkness into a marvelous light, uh, that we're born of imperishable seed, that uh, we have to submit to our uh, governing authorities, wives submit to your husbands, uh, um, uh, servants uh, submit to your masters, members uh, submit, Submit to your pastors, pastors, uh, shepherd the flock, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Um, there's, that there's forgiveness in Jesus, that God l- loves us and is caring for us, that he's the, good, the chief shepherd of the flock. All these things that Peter has been writing to us for these past few months, he is saying that th- those things, this is the true grace of God, right? Those things are the true grace of God, and we ought to stand firm in it. And that's what we ought to do, to stand firm in the true grace of God. Now, how can we do that? Well, what's interesting is after all this specific instruction, what Peter wraps up with in his final greetings is uh, that he shows that there are greetings from other churches. Okay, so he says she who is at Babylon. Now that might be kind of confusing, but this is how they often talked about churches. They would say the elect lady that's in this city and this city, and they would refer to them as a female, right? They would use a female pronoun to describe the church because it's the bride of Christ, right? But says she who is at Babylon. Babylon isn't literally Babylon, but um, a lot of uh, Jewish Christians would use Babylon to describe sort of the headquarters of the enemy. Babylon in this case was probably Rome Rome is where probably this epicenter of Christian persecution it probably began so in the same way that Christianity spread out persecution started in Rome and they used the word they used Babylon because Babylon was the, uh, the, the capital of the Assyrians who were the enemies of Israel uh, back in when they were in exile so if you were to read in the Old Testament you probably discover that right And so they would use this sort of ancient language to describe what's been going on. So basically the church in Rome, which is also being persecuted, um, she sends you greetings, right? Saying there's this relationship that's happening between different churches in different cities right and this should be sort of an example to us it's it's sort of what we call the catholicity the catholic church now it's different from roman catholic that is a specific that's a separate thing altogether when we say the church is catholic we we're saying that there is a universal church right there's a there's a connection that we have that zoe fellowship has with other local churches all over the world including churches like new song and young knock and and watermark and the village all these churches we are all part of this Catholic church, the universal church. Um, And so in this sort of society where there's persecution, Christians need to come together or at least uh, support one another uh, so that they knew that they had brothers and sisters in Christ everywhere, that they were not the only ones suffering these things. And so Peter lets them know that, hey, you guys are not alone in this. There are Christians all over the world, including this church in Rome that I've either visited or whatever the case is. And they're suffering too. And they're suffering alongside you. And this shows that we are in the grace of God, right? Because Jesus suffered, right? He humbled himself to the point of obedience. And in doing so, he suffered. He died, right? And Jesus raised, or God raised him up from the dead and bestowed on him the name that was above every other name. And so we're on the, it's showing that we're all on the same team. We, I think a lot of times... Uh, maybe you guys don't feel this, but as a pastor, sometimes I have to confess that um, it's really easy to fall into like competitiveness with other churches, right? Um, that I want to have the, the best method or the best uh, ministry philosophy or the best preaching or the best, whatever the, case, the the largest number of members, whatever the case is, it's easy to start comparing to other churches instead of trying to figure out ways to work together for the sake of the gospel in the cities or in our communities and in our cities. Um, and so this is a great reminder, even right there at the very end, that we ought to greet one another with a kiss of love, right? We ought to have peace with one another, all with all who are in Christ. Um, this is so important that we don't want to burn bridges down, not only to Gentiles, but to other Christians. Um, just because we have some sort of competitive rivalry or whatever the case is, that shouldn't exist. We should be working together as the body of Christ. So with that being said, all this... Um, we're coming to the end of First Peter. This is when we can show this that we are standing firm together as churches all across the world and in our cities and in our communities, we show that we are standing firm in the true grace of God, that we've anchored ourselves in that, that that is how we are distinct from our society and in our culture, and that we've become a place, a haven for those who are being persecuted for their faith and hopefully we can call others into it uh, so that uh, the kingdom of God might grow. Uh, and that God might be glorified in all the work that he is doing. So with that being said, stand firm in the true grace of God.